This morning is meditating on the word and getting ready for our gathering. I realized my voice is in tough shape. And so I'm going to seek to be a bit brief um, and abridge this message because I'm, I'm really feeling on the edge with my voice. So I hope that you'll bear with me with that. For some of you, if you're new to Grace Baptist Church, as we gather, this is not uh, on the Lord's Day. This is not about you simply filling your tank, you being entertained, but we gather uh, for worship. Edmund Clowney says that the church serves God in three ways, directly in worship, We serve one another in nurture. We live out all the one another commands in the New Testament. And thirdly, then, we serve the world in mission. We have to, we're called to, we're privileged to, to think outside of of what God is doing here, to think, to plan, to be part of, to participate in the word, the good news going to every tribe and language and people and nation. And so if you're under 18 years of age, we pray, and not just if you're under 18, but also if you're over 18, we pray that there'll be days in the future that with tears streaming down our faces, We'll be praying and laying hands on you and commissioning some of you to go to hard places where the gospel has not yet been preached. It's not so that we can stay forever just like we are, but that we might bring his great name to the nations. Well, this morning we continue in our series through the book of Exodus, we're in the Ten Commandments, and we've come to a second week here in the fourth commandment. I entitled this message, you might see, Rethinking the Sabbath, Rethinking the Sabbath. I want for a moment you to imagine that you are on aisle seat 40B at the back of a plane and your knees are crammed and there's no space. You're the last aisle in the economy section on a flight. You can't look out the window and you know that when the queue, the line starts for the restroom right behind you, that your, your view is gonna be people sitting there waiting to do their business. And then you see this distinguished man approach, and he looks like he's ready to lay claim to your seat. But before he can even make his appeal, you look him in the eye and you wave your ticket to him, and you assert, this is my seat, and you're not taking it from me. And the implication is, don't even try. And he smiles graciously. He turns around, and he walks toward the front of the plane without a word, and you think, I'm so glad that is over. And you feel fortunate to even get a seat and keep it and not get bumped off the aircraft. 
So I want to ask you a question this morning. Do you view Sundays in the way you view your seat on a flight? It's yours and no one, not even the one who instituted the Sabbath can take it from you. Instead of Jesus as the Son of Man, as Lord of the Sabbath, have you come to the place that you've claimed the Lord's day for your own design and your own use? It's your commodity. You see, we believe, we thought about this two weeks ago, that time is ours. In fact, I've got on my desk a list of rights that we think, inherent rights that we think. I think maybe Jamie passes this out. You pass that. It might even be yours. Yeah. Number seven on there is essentially that our schedule is our own. It's ours to make and no one's to intersect or interrupt. We believe that time is ours, that we're sovereign over our time and schedule, but God, the sovereign Lord, makes his claim upon all our time, but peculiarly the Lord's day. And moms and dads, let me make this very practical for you to apply this for a moment. One out of seven is roughly 14%. So if you raise children to the age of 18 and you give them roots and wings and they fly off and leave your home, two and a half years of the 18 years they live in their home are Lord's days. And you and, and I as parents with the children in our home, we are given the stewardship of one-seventh, two and a half years out of 18 for each of the children in our home. If you live to 70, that would be 10 years of Lord's days that God says are my day, as in his day. Well, here's what we learned two weeks ago in our first message on the fourth commandment. And I want to do this by way of review, is for us to think of it this way, that When we see in this verse, and by the way, there's only about eight or nine passages, and I I think this will be helpful. If you'll learn and study these eight or nine passages, you'll get a biblical framework on all of the fourth commandment. In fact, Elvin already read three of them this morning. Exodus 28 through 11, Genesis 2, 1 through 3. Then he read from, I think, you were in Isaiah 58, 13, uh, 13 and 14 or 6 through 8, something like that. But I'll give these to you. There's only eight or nine particular passages that shape this for us. But the, the Sabbath, as we think of the fourth commandment, the Sabbath or the Lord's day in the Christian era ever since the resurrection of the author and captain of our faith, the Lord Jesus, the King and Lord of the church, it's designed to remind us of three realities. Number one, of our Redeemer who rescued us from our sin. That was foreshadowed in his rescue of Israel from the land of Egypt and from the bondage of slavery. All right, that's number one, the first reality, that we are a redeemed people. Secondly, 
of our Creator who made us and all things in the space of six days. And in fact, we noted that in Exodus 20, the words, the ideas, the verbs are the same as in Genesis 2, 1 through 3. God makes, God rests, he blesses, all right? He blesses, he made as in creation, he rests from that creation, he blesses that day, and then he makes it holy. There's a third reminder from the Lord's Day about the Lord's Day. Not only does it remind us that we are redeemed people, that as Israel was brought out of the land of Egypt, as they were rescued from the bondage of slavery, so God has rescued us from our own Egypt, our own sin. Not only then, it reminds us that we're a made people. God made us in the span. He made this world and everything in it. He made the spheres and filled them in six days, then rested. But then finally, it points us to our final and future rest. The promised land of eternity with him, entered only by faith in Jesus Christ, but a rest that may be enjoyed now. For Jesus says, I came what? As the good shepherd that they of his sheep might have life and have it abundantly. It's not simply a pledge for the future, but it's a present reality. We also considered two weeks ago the answer to the question, how do we ever find rest when our work is never done while we live in the midst of a restless world? Well, God's answer is found in this distinct day, one in seven, different in character and focused than the other six days. It's more than, it's no less than one in seven, but it's much more. There's a designated day, and we call this day the Sabbath. And it just so happens that the word to cease and to rest in Hebrew sounds just like the word, the ordinal word, we say seventh, as in fifth, sixth, seventh, those sound alike. It's like wordplay there in Exodus 20 and in Deuteronomy 5. But now we call it the Lord's Day, and I, and I prefer that. It's the Lord's Day. We saw this two weeks ago. The apostle John used in Revelation 1. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's Day. And there are other examples in the New Testament where that one day of rest shifted instead of six days of work and one day of rest. Now, in the New Testament era, since the resurrection of our Lord Jesus, the one day of rest, the setting aside, the observing of the one day that God made holy, followed by six days of work. Even in Luke, in in the book of Acts, Luke speaks of on the first day of the week when we were gathered together to break bread. And Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, he speaks on the first day of every week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up. And the idea is when God's people gathered for corporate worship. That's the point. And it's very practical 
Could you imagine if we never designated any day for corporate worship? You'd come in here on Tuesday, there'd be 13 people. You'd come in here on Thursday, there'd be 26 people. Come in here on Saturday, maybe 55. Back on Sunday, 48. But there's this day that we've designated as the Lord's Day. And so this is the day of our corporate gathering as the people of God. And on that day... Think of the elements that we participate. What have we done this morning? We've prayed. We've sung songs of praises. And consistent with the pattern in Psalm 92, where there's musical instruments and real melodies, songs with memorable melodies, theologically rich, the type of songs that you're, you'd be singing as, as you, you drive down the road, all of that, prayers, corporate singing, the reading of the scriptures as Elvin read, even testimony, public testimony by John and Christine of what God has done. And then now, what's central, the teaching of the word. These are elements. These are the designated elements that are to mark our corporate gathering until Jesus Returns until the end of the age, the consummation, we say, of the age. And of course, in this and to it, we have even our offerings. You might notice we have a box here and one back here. These are part of our Lord's Day gathering where we give to, out of what God has given to us. We give a tenth and more to acknowledge that everything we have is from him. And here, on the third Sunday of every month, the communion elements are here. The juice, representative of our Lord's blood, the, the, the wafer of his broken body. On the third Sunday of each month, we do this together. We remember and proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. But before that then, up in those waters, underneath the gold cross, we have baptisms. And God willing, we'll have another one in the next month or so as we receive a new member through the waters of baptism. These are the elements of worship on the designated elements of worship on this designated day. But it's the Lord's day. And so I'd like you to take and put your eyes there, particularly page 61, if you're opening the Pew Bible. As we look at verses 8 through 11. And a reminder for those of you, because in a bit this is review, and then we'll land this very practically. The Lord's Day, what now we read is the Sabbath in verse 8. It's fundamentally the Lord's Day. And so when we read that with its New Testament designation, that's the point about rethinking the Sabbath this morning. The big takeaway is this is not our day to do as we would with it. If you think about it, 
It's the only day in particular that God, God claims all our days in general, but this one in particular. And it makes sense, it really, it coordinates with Moses' prayer in Psalm 90 to say, so teach us, Lord, to number our days that we may present to you a heart of wisdom. And so if God may make a claim on all our days and then say, remember, not remember like I know my password is dot, 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 dot. But recall for the purpose of acting upon it, to keep and observe as holy what God initially instituted at creation as holy. He makes the world... He makes these spheres, he fills these spheres and subordinates them to us as his vice regent. And then he rests actively, not passively, in this joy. It's like when you make a birthday cake and you've decorated it beautifully. And you have a birthday cell and then you've got this, the candles and you light them. And it's, the, it's in that moment and you're taking the pictures, you're celebrating not just the making of the cake, but maybe your little daughter or granddaughter just turned five. And you take that and you rest and you delight in that moment. That's what God did. And then he blessed that day. It's very interesting because you don't see that language with respect to every other day. You may say that uniquely God has blessed the Sabbath day. He's blessed that day. And he made it holy. He made it distinct. Special. Some of you understand this. Some of you have china. You have silver, real silverware, like legitimate silverware that you pull out at Thanksgiving or Christmas or things for special occasions. And that's the idea here as we rethink it. It's God's day, and that's why the word, the, the verb, the imperative is remember the Sabbath day for this purpose, to keep it holy, that is, to keep sacred, special, not profane, not common, what God already made at creation as holy. And you might notice that when you think of all the creation ordinances in the first few chapters of Genesis, marriage and procreation glued together, two sides of one coin, work and rest, all of these are included, all of these are contemplated in this fourth commandment. You find all of them there. There's no son there's no daughter apart from, apart from typically marriage. One of the purposes of marriage is offspring, is descendants, is children. As the psalmist says in Psalm 127, they're the blessing of the Lord. They're all there. You might remember two weeks ago that we said too, as we looked at this commandment, that this fourth commandment is the final on the first tablet of the two tablets 
of the 10 words. As we taught two weeks ago, for those of you who are new, just a reminder of the purpose of the law. In, these, in, the, in the moral law that's summarized in two great commandments, love God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength, Deuteronomy 6, and love your neighbor as yourself, Leviticus 19, those two, the summary found in these 10, the first four that prescribe our relationship vertically, our relationship with God, and then the next six, our relationship horizontally, And you'll even notice that the first and second commandment balance with the tenth commandment and deal with the matter of the heart. The third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. In the ninth commandment, you shall not bear false witness against your neighbor, have to do with our mouth. Then you can see that the fourth through the eighth have to do with the works of of our hands, that which we do. First, second, and tenth, the matter of the heart. The third and the ninth, the matter of the mouth. The fourth through the eighth, how we live, what we do, what we do. And so in rethinking the Sabbath, we're at the end of this first tablet of the law, our relationship with God. God says, you're to have me exclusively. You're to have no other gods before me. You're to understand that I am spiritual. I'm invisible. I'm a spirit. And those who worship me must worship in spirit and in truth. So you don't make for yourself a carved image for the purpose of serving or worshiping it of anything that's represented on earth. The third, my name is so holy. My name there is Adonai. You could spell it out as Yahweh, Lord in all capital letters. But the Jews held it with such reverence that they feared to say Yahweh. They would normally, when they saw that in Hebrew letters, they would simply say Adonai. Adonai Elohim. And God says, don't use my name in a trite manner. Don't use it for a curse word. Don't use it without purpose and meaning. Without holy purpose and holy meaning. And then finally, this commandment. There's four aspects with the Lord's Day that I want you to think about. We've said the design, and we've, we've looked at this, that there's the redemptive context. And moms and dads, I want to encourage you, with your children, to help them think about what does the Lord's Day remind them of? What does it represent? What does it represent? It's designed to remind us that we're a redeemed people. There's a redemptive context. That's why the prologue to the word say, and God spoke all these words saying, I'm the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. And so with these words, and with obedience to his word, 
is not a motivation to earn the love of God, but to live out of having experienced the love of God for us in Christ Jesus. That's very, very different. So there's a redemptive context. We're a redeemed people. Secondly is the foundation and precedent from creation. In fact, turn with me briefly to Deuteronomy in chapter 5. This you might call the second giving, the re-giving, the restating, the retelling of the ten words, the ten commandments. You'll notice in Deuteronomy 5, verses 12 through 15, there's the fourth commandment, long, quite long, like like the second commandment. But what you'll notice there is that this one lacks a mention of creation. What it mentions is that, hey, you, verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. So that's duplicated, not just not just, um, there's the prologue for the 10 words. The prologue is seen, seen in Exodus 20, verses 1 and 2. Also seen in Deuteronomy 5 and verse 6. But in effect, that's repeated as the postscript for the fourth commandment. You were slave in the land of Egypt. I brought you out with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. And on that basis, God's saying, therefore keep the Sabbath day. And the essence of this command for us is that this is not as a day, it's not as a day for us to simply do what we want. It's a day for us to gather together. It's a day designed for corporate worship. It's a day for acts of necessity and mercy. Praise God, there are those emergency responders, those in the medical field, those in many fields that are willing to work on the Lord's day for our benefit and for our blessing. And may the Lord make that up to them. But the Lord's day in keeping it holy is not simply a let me sleep for five hours on my couch after lunch a passive rest of nothingness, but it's this active rest. It's worshipful, God-centered, Christ-adoring, spirit-enabled rest. In some ways, when we've received and lived out the Lord's day as we ought, there ought to be a sense of this very sweet, satisfying exhaustion at the end of the day that we've met with God, we've heard his word, we've been with his people, we've been reminded of his promises. And then finally, there's an anticipation of the Sabbath. There's an anticipation of a much greater rest. You see, from Exodus 31, if you'll turn there just for a moment, just put your, make a note of this passage. It's unique Exodus 31 speaks of the Sabbath 
in covenant terms as a perpetual sign covenant for the people of Israel. As a sign between the Lord and his people. A reminder that he made the earth in six days and he rested. But it's also a reminder that he is the one who sanctifies us. All right? Verse 13. He says, this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. I sanctify you. It's more, it's no less than one in seven, but it's far more. It's the very pattern of our world. You might say that the world was created with a Sabbatarian framework. God did that for our good, for his glory. Not as a result of the fall, not like the Lord's day is a punishment, so you can't, one day God's got it, and you don't. As though God, if you will, is guilty of the eighth commandment. As though God is guilty of stealing a day from you. He hasn't taken anything. He's given it to you, to me, to his people. And so the Lord's day, the Sabbath, was given not as a result of the fall, but prior to the fall. It's not disconnected from the fall. For it's the Sabbath and its focus on rest that it's the answer for the soul-sapping weariness that my sin and your sin requires relief. And so we can say, welcome, Lord Jesus. Welcome, Son of Man. Welcome, O Lord of the Sabbath. Just quickly, I want to take Psalm 92. Turn there for a second. We use Psalm 92 in our call to worship. And I'd like to take this Psalm And I wondered if you've ever thought to take a clue from this psalm to shape your Lord's Day in the way you think, in the way you structure, the way you prepare for the Lord's Day, the way you respond to it. Did you know of the 150 psalms, only Psalm 92 has this title, A Song for the Sabbath. What is good Here's the answer to the question, what is good? The psalmist says, it is good to give thanks to the Lord. Listen, here it is. His hands are lifted up. You see, it's good, that's what's good, to give thanks to the Lord. And there's that name, the covenantal name of God in all capital letters. How do we do it particularly? To sing praises to his name. And he gives a name, the most high. Your name, your name, O most high. So there's the Lord's day. This is good to give thanks to the Lord. To sing praises to your name, O most high. But how musically with instruments, melodically by thankful, theologically rich songs that exalt his character, that magnify 
his works and that produce joy so that like the psalmist we could say for you O Lord have made me glad by your work in the works of your hands or at the works of your hands I sing for joy I want us to conclude if there's a single thing that I want you to think about in rethinking the Sabbath today it's this It's the Lord's day. He doesn't take it from us. He gives it to us. And it's a gift. It's a gift to gather. We talked two weeks ago. Imagine if you're a single person. And most of the week you go with no hugs, no high fives, no tell me meeting someone meeting you at the door and asking how your day was. And you come, and you come on the Lord's day, and you have a whole family, 150 people, potentially, that could pray for you, that could look you in the eye and smile at you and ask you, how's it going? You know that thing we were talking about? How's God helping with that? And so as a practical application, as we think about the Lord's day, when you don't gather, when you don't make this a priority, in effect, you deprive your single brothers and sisters of your presence. And that's a loss. That's a great loss of joy. Do you remember the seat that you weren't willing to give up? That seat, that aisle seat, 40B, that the only thing you had a real vision of was people lined up to go to the bathroom. That last row in the economy section. Now you're getting off the plane at your designation. You're about to exit the plane and you're coming right to the first row of the first class section where you stretch out and they bring you something cool and refreshing to drink and put a T-bone steak mid-flight and you can like stretch out and sleep the whole time. And that same distinguished man who you thought was ready to take your tickets there. And he looks at you and he says, look, this plane is mine. I not only own this plane, but I own the entire airline. I'm the CEO of Emirates or fill in the blank airline. And he looks you in the eye with a smile and he says, you were fighting for what you thought was yours when I would have given you this seat with a perfect view of a setting sun in the last hour of your flight. You'd have sat right up here in first class if you'd only let me offer that to you. It's like C.S. Lewis in a quote from The Weight of Glory about mud pies and little children. He says, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling around with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. And like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, he says we are far too easily pleased. What would our lives, brothers and sisters, 
What would our families, our church body, our witness, the advance of Christ's kingdom and his cause look like if we recaptured the Lord's day as God intended it? What would it look like if we truly remembered the first day of the week as his Sabbath, as the Christian Lord's day, and we kept it holy, and we made what he first made holy in a celebration of divine joy that God expressed at the end of creation's first week? What if we recalled that we too were slaves to sin, but that just like the Lord brought Israel out from the land of Egypt and out from bondage and slavery, so too the Lord has rescued us from our sin so that we are free indeed. And what if rather than pursuing our own pleasure and recreation on the Lord's day, so that rather than our day, we've rethought, we're in a continual process of rethinking this day in line with his word so that my day, my time, your day, your time, our day, our time is transformed and renewed to its original and enduring design at creation. What will be the result? It's this, and I'll close by reading Isaiah 58, verses 13 and 14. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day and call the Sabbath a delight, In the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own ways or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. And I believe when we do that, we will hear the words of our Lord Jesus, our living Sabbath, the one who's taken his seat at the right hand of his Father in glory, in a glorified body, and at this moment is interceding for us his sheep. And we'll hear him who says, come to me. All who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Let's rethink the Sabbath. Let's remember our Savior.